0: Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, a nationally known gerontologist, chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, and head of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And it's a delight to have you join us on Caregiver SOS On Air each week as we take up topics that affect caregivers and their families. Hi there.
1: Good afternoon.
0: You just completed a fabulous symposium on caregiving that uh, just rocked the house.
1: You know, we had uh, 260 caregivers here in San Antonio register and come to the conference. Uh, We had a wonderful slate of speakers with uh, Carol Levine, who's been on the show several times, Tan Cummings, who's uh, absolutely fabulous in her work with Alzheimer's, Carol Birch, Who's an elder law attorney? Good sense of humor—that's what you want when you have an attorney. You want someone yeah, with a, exactly. a sense of humor, and you know we just and learned so much. And uh, Dr. Jones uh, was talking to us about you know some spiritual spirituality and taking care of
0: yourself. It was great, and everybody there seemed to enjoy it. And we'll do it again next year. We will do it. This was our
1: this was our second. So the first year we had 125. We doubled it to 250. I don't know. We're going to have to get a bigger boat. If we have more caregivers next year. And
0: it's a great venue, the Oblate uh, School over on uh, Oblate.
1: Yes, we filled the whole building up. That's why I say we have to decide if we're going to hold it or move on. Wow!
0: Now, we've got a great guest coming on in just a couple of moments, Paul Benheim, who knows a lot about brains. He's a physician, runs Brain Savers, also teaches at the University of Arizona.
1: Yes, he is. And he has uh, really, you know, it's it's nice to talk to someone who's a neurologist, not a layperson, who has gone through the research uh, and to tell us that, you know, when we grew up, all, when you killed a brain cell, it was dead forever. I can remember that. If you take a drink, you kill your brain cells, and they never regenerate, and that's it. You're just going to, you know.
0: Turns out not to be true, he says. It's
1: not true. It's not true. And we'll find out that and how to take care of our brains because they're very important. And
0: how to head off Alzheimer's at the same time. That's right. I you know, like Mitigate that. the risks. HIPAA, speaking of doctors and healthcare profession, uh, so what does the P stand for in HIPAA?
1: Well, this also came out of our Caregiver Summit, and Carol Levine, who has been on the show talking about HIPAA, and she sent me an article after the summit that she was you know, quoted in, and she said, you know, the P in HIPAA, what does that stand for? It's not privacy, because all of us think that right. HIPAA is the Privacy Act. It's actually the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. And it was intended to make health information portable. In other words, encourage electronic medical records so you could share information across. Uh, and accountability was to make sure that people didn't get your information. That shouldn't have it. So not everybody in a medical practice needs access to all the patient records. Um, you know, you should have information security so that people can't hack into your systems and and get information. So it was never intended to prevent good clinical care. It was supposed to foster good clinical care, but and not
0: s- enforced that way now.
1: Well, it's it's everybody thinks it's the Privacy Act, and oh, yes, can't there, tell you, can't it, talk to you. There are protections in there, but. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, think that you have to fill out a form. So before I can tell you what's wrong with your mother, your mother has to sign this form and then I can share information. And that's not true. Your mother can sit there and say, I want, you know, my daughter to right. to have my information. That's all that needs to happen, you know, and I want all of my doctors to have my information. So, you know, this idea that we have built these walls and that HIPAA, we can't do that because of HIPAA, you know, is just not true. And so I encourage all all of you, if you run into the brick wall of HIPAA when you're visiting, you know, a physician with your loved one, uh, do what Carol asks us to do, and that's to ask for the privacy officer or the office administrator and have them show you in rule where it is that they think that's what they're supposed to do. Because oh, I love that. yeah, it's it, HIPAA should not be used as a blunt force instrument to keep you from finding out what's going on with your loved one.
0: There was a TV commercial running for quite a while couple of women sitting in a room and uh, in an apartment and on the wall was a bunch of pictures of people. And the woman said something that the uh, uh, homeowner didn't like. And she said, I'm going to unfriend you and takes her picture off the wall. I love
1: that. I've seen that one.
0: Which, of course, is in a way the way Facebook can work. But... Older adults, social media, are, are they getting more and more adept at it? Well, I
1: saw a couple of interesting tidbits. This this all came out of a newsletter from the International Council on Active Aging, and they gleaned it from other places like the Pew Research. But So there was a, a study about social networking websites and how much we're using it. So in 2014, 65% of all adults in the United States were using social media. Of them, 35% of people 65 and over we're using social media. That's up from two percent in two thousand five. Wow! So thirty five percent. Oh, you know, a Scroll third on. of older folks are now using social media. That, I, that was a high number, you know, because we still tend to think, oh, no. And, and why do you think that they're on social media?
0: To talk to their grandkids. Yeah,
1: so you know, you know I, I'm amazed at how many parents are little, use social media to spy on their children. And if their children not figured this out, but, you know, older people are keeping in touch with the grandkids. But the other article that was in the same newsletter uh, that they were talking about, so does it make a difference if social media is about connecting with friends, as you mentioned? Is there a difference if you suffer from depression and loneliness? Is there a difference between an in-person interaction and a social media or email
0: interaction? I would think yes.
1: Well, and the research would agree with you. Actually, um, if you have depression, that there is no substitute. The, you know, the the power of a face-to-face visit with a friend or a family member. You know, it still trumps an email. Or a written communication, or any kind of social media. So that came out of the um, Oregon Health and Science University, mm. uh, Portland Healthcare System. So if you've got somebody in your family or your loved one seems a little down in the dumps. Bombarding them with all kinds of social media and emails is not going to be as effective as sitting down and having a little face-to-face conversation.
0: Knock on the door and go see them.
1: And go see them, you know. You'll see the light in their eyes and that will confirm everything.
0: Bring them a cherry pie. There you go. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel. And we're going to be up for a real treat in just a few minutes when Dr. Paul Benheim joins us. Everything you want to know about your brain and a whole lot more. Brainsavers is his organization, and we're going to talk to him in a few minutes. Before we do, so, my little girl, Reagan, who is four, looked at me the other day, and I walk around barefoot in the house a lot. She said, Daddy, your toes are ugly. And then she added, maybe it's because you're old. Ooh. Uh, Ooh, that hurt. Do older toenails. people have ugly toes?
1: Well, that was a question that was asked to the New York Times. Well, there you are. So, so everybody wants to know the answer to this is why the elderly tend to have such ugly toenails. Um, and while it's not exclusive to the elderly, it is true that as you get older, you're more prone to fungus, which gives you those lovely, crumpled, flaky, ugh, not so attractive um you know, nails, you may have less circulation. People with diabetes tend to not have such great nails. And then the other reason is because you're old, it's highly likely that at some point you may have dropped something on your <laughs> toe. You may have stubbed it. You may have had some sort of an injury, caught it in a door, and you've actually injured the footbed, right, or the toe, the nail bed. Right. So that the nail is never going to grow out and be pretty oh, because wow. you've actually damaged where it comes from. And and, and so misshapen nails like that, um, if you're a runner and you wear shoes that are too tight, you're going to get misshapen nails. If you get older if you keep doing that. Mm. So – you know, I I just thought it was interesting because really you do see a lot of older people with not so great toenails, um, and it's both a function of fungus, which you know you've got to change those shoes every day. A lot of older people don't dry their feet after they get out of the shower, and so their feet stay moist. They put them in the socks. They well, who can the bend down shoes. that much. Yeah, it's a lot of bending. You know. But that's the reason I I can I have no other solutions to offer you than you know a lot of the. Uh, pills that one would take to get rid of a fungus, internal medicine, stuff, doesn't really, you can't really take that when you're older, and the topical stuff does not work as well. So it, it may be a fact of life, and there may be a reason for it.
0: So Reagan was right. She was Daddy right. has ugly toes. Oh, the embarrassment. Next up on our list of interesting things that Carol has uncovered. It has nothing to do with toenails. Exactly. There are new rules now for end-of-life consultations with your doctor. And no, this is not death panels. Well,
1: it is the death panels, but it's the death panels revisited. So um, the rule just came out at the end of October. This is out of the New York Times. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services have now, are now reimbursing doctors to have that discussion about the type of care you want to have at the end of life.
0: Which always made sense.
1: Well, it makes it doctors want to have it. The hospitals want to have it. Everybody wants to be able to have this discussion with you. And now for a 30-minute visit, they get reimbursed approximately $75. So they get paid to have the discussion but the most important thing is that the rule makes it very clear that any advanced care planning, having this discussion about end-of-life care, takes place at the discretion of the beneficiary. So, in other words, I don't have to be dying to have this. I don't have to be in the hospital. If I choose to schedule the visit now while I'm healthy and I'm well, I go to my physician um, and have that conversation tomorrow if that's when I want to have it. So obviously, if you have a bad diagnosis and um, you know, prognosis doesn't look good, they may be encouraging you to have the conversation. But it's up to the beneficiary to decide when and where they want to have the conversation with the physician.
0: My mother always used to say, we grew up in Cleveland, Ronnie, when I die, just throw me in a rowboat, row out to the middle of Lake Erie and dump me in.
1: Perfect. That that's was her great. Answer. Is that what you did?
0: No, we didn't. <laughs> Made sense, but I think it's probably I against think it's the probably, law. Probably,
1: yes. If you'd had at that end of life discussion with her physician, I think with the word rowboat and lake, <laughs> they may have tried to redirect her just yeah, a little.
0: I think you're probably right. What about weight and aging? Well, a lot of folks are concerned about their weight.
1: Well, I, I, this one I, I liked because it was so easy. You know, what do you add and what do you subtract to have the best weight? This comes out of a newsletter from United Healthcare. So all of us that are over the age of fifty have uh, have realized that we can't eat the way that we did when we were younger, and it's such a drag uh, to all of a sudden your metabolism right. and your tongue start slowing down. So. If you want to maintain the perfect weight, you know, because we lose muscle mass as we get older and we don't burn as many calories, usually we get a little more sedentary. So what do you want to add to your life? Three things. You want to add more movement and more muscle mass. So go to that walk around the block. Pick up those barbells. You know, the more that you use, the more calories you're going to burn. I
0: lift 30-pound kids.
1: There you go. 30-pound kids are great. Man, when my son was young, I had buff arms. Yeah, it's nothing like raising children. And my wife can carry...
0: The twins oh, yeah. at the same I, at time. At the same time. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's
1: great. So, yes, adopt twins when you're old. <laughs> um, nutrient-rich foods. So you want to be choosy about your, the foods, most bang for the buck foods like, you know, blueberries, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then awareness. You want to be aware of what you are eating so that when you go to McDonald's, like I did today and chose the cheeseburger over the regular hamburger or something else, that cheese didn't need that. You know, I need to be aware of what i But you burn a lot of calories. In. Are we still well, doing flamenco? Well, we're still do it. Yes, we're still okay. dancing. Yeah. But so what do you subtract to maintain that perfect weight? You're going to subtract calories. You're going to subtract the large portion size, portion size control. Get a smaller plate. You right. would be amazed how much less you eat With if you have a plates. smaller plate. Yeah. Um, and then you, the other thing you're going to subtract is health risk because if you just did the five things I said, you're going to lower wow. your risk of heart disease and diabetes and other bad things.
0: And in just a moment, we're going to find out about our brains as well. Dr. Paul Benheim will join us. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. <laughs> Those of us who are eligible for Medicare know all too well it's difficult and confusing to navigate the maze of rules and regulations, but now there's good news. The Medicare Information centers, brought to you by WellMed, provide all the information Medicare-eligible people may need on Medicare and Medicare Advantage health plan options, preventive health care, health topics, government-sponsored Medicare savings programs, and a whole lot more, and there's no cost for the service. The Medicare Information Centers by WellMed are your one-stop go-to resource for everything you need to know about Medicare and various other resources. Remember, open enrollment continues through December 7th. Hey, don't do it alone. If you don't understand something, ask for help. It's available at no cost. Call 877-813-3134 for more information about open enrollment and for your appointment at one of seven. Medicare Information Centers in San Antonio, 877-813-3134. And we're so pleased that many of you are calling because this information is invaluable as you consider what to do with your Medicare health care coverage. Open enrollment continues through December 7th. WellMed experts are standing by at our Medicare information centers. Call 877-813-3134. 877-813-3134. And they can give you some information on uh, how to proceed. December 7th is literally around the corner, so you want to make that call now. And yes, they are there on a Sunday afternoon. 877-813-3134. The call is free. The service is free. As we've been promising, we're delighted to be joined by Dr. Paul Benheim, chairman of Brainsavers. He's based in Phoenix, has an appointment at the University of Phoenix Med School, teaches med students, and is nationally and internationally known for his work on brain health, cognitive science, and a whole lot of stuff that has to do with that large piece on top of our heads called our brain. So, Dr. Benheim, I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernial, and we're delighted to have you on Caregiver SOS On Air. Thanks.
2: Ron and Carol, I appreciate the opportunity. I just would make one slight correction. I'm at the Univ- University of Arizona.
0: Oh, University uh, of Arizona. You're right, in Phoenix. Correct. I'm sorry about that. So you're like real live in classrooms as opposed to on the Internet. That's correct. Well, that's a nice change. So good to have you with us. Either way.
1: Well, um, Dr. Benheim, tell us why um, brain health is like the new hot topic. I don't think I ever get in the car without hearing something on the news or in an advertisement about brain health?
2: From my perspective, there are really several aspects to answering that question, Carol. Um, If you survey, as uh, MetLife and other foundations have done, aging Americans, you'll find now, in contradistinction to what was found 10 or 15 years ago, that the fear of losing one's memory, the fear of losing one's mind, the fear of acquiring Alzheimer's disease, now ranks, if not at the top, in the top two or three health concerns of every aging American. And Alzheimer's disease is now so prevalent, and it's simply because of one overarching reason, and that's the aging of our society. Uh, There's a person acquiring Alzheimer's disease now in this country, approximately, Every minute, and that's because the risk of Alzheimer's is directly related to your age. So right, I say
0: that again: a person in our society,
2: yeah. So in the thirty minutes or so that we're going to be together today, uh, there'll be approximately thirty new cases of Alzheimer's. And, one a minute,
1: and so that's and, why we don't neither neither none of us none of the three of us want to be one of those cases, and that's why your program, Brain Savers. Uh, and your work in neurology and dealing with Alzheimer's is so important.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, and it's really not my work. I was able to have the idea to put all the exciting new discoveries about the aging brain that have been made over the last 20 years together in a program that uh, is easy to participate in and enjoyable. And uh, what w- what some very bright neuroscientists have discovered over the past 20 years is that the aging brain can change its shape, it can grow new cells, it can form new connections between those cells, and that's referred to as brain plasticity. And the other major aspect is what we call brain reserve. I'm sure the vast majority of your listeners know what physical reserve is. People as they age, if they do modest physical exercise and eat well and get a good night's sleep, they build physical reserve. So if they get the flu, they recover much more quickly than somebody who is completely out of shape They sail through surgeries uh, much easier, and they have a dramatically reduced risk of heart disease and other ailments that uh, increase in their incidence with age. We now know the same is true of the brain. If you build brain reserve through a brain-healthy lifestyle, your risk of Alzheimer's disease and all uh, dementia is dramatically reduced.
0: By the same token, the good news is we're living longer. The bad news is more and more of us are developing Alzheimer's because we're living longer?
2: That's exactly the uh, answer, Ron. So when you're 60, you have about a one percent risk of getting Alzheimer's disease. That risk doubles every five years. So it, the population over 80, which is exploding because of the aging of the baby boomers, the baby boomers, excuse me, uh, approximately 40 percent of people over the age of 80 or 85 will have Alzheimer's disease.
1: Now, when you talk about the people who get Alzheimer's disease, is it true that more women get Alzheimer's than men?
2: Um, Yes, slightly more. Women live longer, and even though this is not completely understood, it appears that estrogen may provide somewhat of a neuroprotective effect. Now, having said that, I think most authorities now do not recommend uh, estrogen supplementation except in special circumstances.
1: That's right. It increases the risk of stroke and some other bad things. Yes. Yes. Not if, You know, Mother Nature, she's a tough cookie. She's just not going to let us get away with just any old thing.
0: Let me remind folks, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Dr. Paul Benheim. He's our special guest on Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. He serves as chairman of Brain Savers, and we're going to find out what that is. And he is a professor at the University of Arizona Med School, uh, teaching med students uh, all kinds of stuff relating to neurology and brains and dementia and, and you name it. So, Dr. Benham, I guess we should begin at the beginning. What is Brain Savers?
2: Um, Ron, Brain Savers uh, is what I like to call America's healthy aging brain company. So I uh, was reading some papers uh, 12 years ago now, and I realized that some critical things, almost dogma of neurology, that I had been taught as a medical student and resident, were incorrect. I remember as a medical student listening to Houston Merritt, arguably the most famous uh, neurologist in the history of the country. He was, at that time, Chairman Emeritus at Columbia University in New York. He said the worst thing about growing old was sitting in his chair and listening to his neurons commit suicide by diving into the ventricles. The ventricles are the fluid-filled cavities in your brain. Well, we now know that Although you do lose brain cells as you age, you can generate new brain cells, and you can connect them, as I mentioned before, and that builds brain reserve. And how do you do that? You do that through lifestyle. Lifestyle is the only proven risk reduction for Alzheimer's disease. And I use the term risk reduction rather than prevention. And I think about it like a, a seatbelt in your car. A seatbelt will greatly reduce your risk of injury and even death, but it won't prevented in all cases. Well, lifestyle will reduce your risk. Healthy choices in lifestyle will reduce your risk of Alzheimer's
0: disease. How do you know that?
2: Well, I know we know that from numerous studies. Studies uh, of people who exercise regularly, studies of people who use their brain as a set of muscles, um, people who eat well, people who uh, deal with stress in healthy fashions, people who get a good night's sleep, and people who stay socially active. There's separate research in each of those six components of healthy brain aging support the uh, now, not hypothesis, not uh, postulation, but actual uh, fact that a healthy lifestyle leads to overall better brain and body aging and risk reduction for Alzheimer's disease.
1: So what you've described is a little different from some of the, let's say that some of the advertisements I've heard that only talk about brain games. So when you talk about brain savers, you're not talking about doing crossword puzzles.
2: Uh, Yes and no, Carol. So uh, brain games certainly can be part of an overall uh, brain health program, but they're certainly not the key component. Um, The key component as far as cognitive and memory exercises are really doing a variety of activities that are mentally stimulating. And we we talk about the world brain jam. In San Antonio or in Phoenix, there are countless activities for people to do that are mentally stimulating and lead to building brain reserve, whether it's participating in uh, community activities, whether it's going to an art museum, going to a concert, a book club, uh, endless activities that stimulate one, make one think, and make one remember. Well, a great example of that is learning a new language. So for those of us who were born native English speakers in the Southwest, to learn Spanish is a wonderful way to build brain reserve uh, and a much better way, in my opinion, than simply doing uh, computer-based games.
0: What about watching Monday Night Football?
2: Well, again, uh, enjoyment uh, is part of uh, uh, brain health. Uh, the downside of that are the, for the players, the concussions that they... I know. Uh, not, uh, so I won't comment on that. This yeah. Yeah, there's
0: it's a movie so, coming
1: out about that.
2: There is. <laughs> Pretty yeah. soon. Yeah. Soon
0: to be at your local theater. So I think watching
2: football is better than playing football as far as brain health is <laughs> concerned.
0: And, and what do you do in terms of uh, how, how you, as someone who knows a heck of a lot about our brains, Dr. Benheim, what is your regimen of, of food and exercise and intellectual stimulation?
2: Okay, let me start with the intellectual stimulation. I guess I'm very fortunate. I have a stimulating neurology practice, so I deal with interesting people and their problems almost on a daily basis. I work uh, growing uh, brain savers, and I'm engaged with the students at the medical school. And I enjoy art. I enjoy uh, music. Uh, So think of your brain as a collection of muscles. People understand that if you exercise a muscle, it's going to get stronger. So think of the visual parts of, the parts of your brain that, that deal with vision, the parts that deal with hearing, the parts that deal with thinking and remembering. So if you participate in activities that stimulate those, they're going to get stronger. The next part, and really the, the oldest science of brain health, has to do with physical exercise. People, whether they're 50, 70, or 90, who do modest physical exercise, on an almost daily basis, and what I prescribe is aim for five days a week to be walking at a modest pace for 30 minutes, they will generate new brain cells in their hippocampus, which is the part of the brain that is responsible for forming memories.
0: Now hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you as we talk about the brain and brain health and trying to head off, if we can, to mention Alzheimer's. I'm Ron Aaron. Dr. Paul Benheim, Chairman of Brainsavers, with us on our Caregiver SOS Hotline. Carol Zirniel, our co-host, is here as well. You're listening to us on 930 AM, The Answer. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. We're brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, and we are learning a heck of a lot from Dr. Paul Benheim, chairman of Brain Savers, based in Phoenix. He's a faculty member as well at the University of Arizona Med School. Dr. Benheim is works with a team of neuroscientists, cognitive experts, nutritional and physical experts, and you package it all together and we're trying to head off in a preventive way the onset of Alzheimer's. And we were talking about what you do when we got into the point of physical exercise, I have to throw in here, Dr. Benheim, I try to eat about a pound of broccoli every day if I can because I heard leafy green vegetables can help head off Alzheimer's.
2: Um, they're part of a brain-healthy diet, Ron. So I think most of your listeners will be aware of the Mediterranean diet. That's a diet rich in fruits and vegetables like broccoli, but you need to eat a variety of them. Uh, an apple a day does not keep the doctor away. So only broccoli uh, is not going to keep your brain uh, as fired up as it should be. But a variety of, of multicolored vegetables, a variety of fresh fruits, whole grains and seeds, a less fatty meats. So a brain-healthy diet would limit the amount of red meats that are so popular in our society and enhance the intake of fish. Uh, in addition, healthy oils. And believe it or not, uh, a glass of red wine a day is part of a Mediterranean diet and uh, is healthy. But I always add that there's no reason to start consuming alcohol uh, based on what I say if you have medical or religious reasons not to drink.
0: I just choose not to drink because of all the calories. Uh,
2: well, you know, obviously you want to. Uh, limit your calories so that you don't gain weight. Uh, one of my favorite sayings that I came across years ago when I was a long-distance runner is if the furnace is hot enough, it will burn anything. So uh, people that exercise can get away with a little bit more as far as uh, cheating on on their diet than those of us, those of uh, those who don't exercise. Well, so. that's
0: true. You look at professional athletes who consume six, 7,000 calories a day and don't gain an ounce.
2: Right. And so, you know, I was, Until I, they I retire. retire. Until they retire. Until they retire. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and most of us who are <laughs> participating in the show or listening to the show are, reti- are retired or near retirement, certainly not uh, professional athletes. So the key is, again, to do modest exercise, aim for 30 minutes a day. And people say, well, what is modest e- exercise? And that is if you're walking, you have to stop in the middle of a sentence and take an extra breath. You don't have to be sweating. You don't have to have your heart racing so that you feel like you're going to fall over. Just a slightly faster respiratory rate, and you are be getting tremendous benefit to your brain, your heart, and the rest of your body.
1: So we'd ask you the question, you've got a, a stimulating practice. You're working with a company trying to help other people preserve their their brain health you are exercising and do you also follow the Mediterranean diet
2: I do I'm fortunate to have a wonderful wife Judith who uh, was uh, born and raised in Israel where the Mediterranean diet is uh, prevalent so we eat a lot of uh, vegetables we actually have a garden we grow a lot of our own vegetables uh, lots of salads in fact I had half of my lunch before this uh, interview and that, that was a salad that Judy made for me this morning and, uh, but we, but uh, again, I'm, I'm in my book, and, uh, whenever I do a, a show like this, I'm very honest. You know, I enjoy a steak once in a while. I enjoy a hot fudge Sunday once in a while. But those have to be the treats, not the daily lunches and dinners.
0: What does once in a while mean?
2: Well, I, I, I tell people if they can, uh, follow closely or relatively closely a Mediterranean diet five or six days a week, and then on the seventh day, you know, have that uh, special meal, and the the literature is interesting. Even people that only modestly adhere to a Mediterranean diet. Much of this work came out of Columbia University in New York. Huh. They have a twenty percent uh, reduced risk of Alzheimer's. Those who more strictly adhere have a forty percent reduced risk, that, and that's those are very significant findings in scientific terms.
1: That's right, and I'm going to adhere to that Mediterranean diet and have that glass of red wine with my dinner, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you there. So there's two things. Uh, first, tell us about Brain Savers, the program that you have been uh, rolling out in Phoenix. Okay,
2: so uh, I and my colleagues developed a class-based program. It's led by a certified instructor, and the participants meet two or three times a week for an hour, and they participate and learn uh, the six components of brain health. So it, it's a socially engaging atmosphere, and they uh, we found they form friendships in the class, and they do things outside of the class. They do formal and informal memory and cognitive exercises. And they're assigned homework in the World Brain Gym that further enhances uh, those activities. They do physical exercise. We try and incorporate at least 20 minutes of aerobic activity, endurance activity in the class. And some of that are what we call cognitive movement activities, in which they both have to think and move at the same time. Uh, they're, They're taught and actually do a uh, stress reduction in the class, and they are instructed, ask questions that are answered about what are healthy sleep habits. Um, and the nutritional piece, again, has gone into in great detail, so they learn about healthy grains, they learn how to read food labels. Uh, in two or three hours a week, obviously, you can only cover bits and pieces, but the course is designed to go for a year, two years, and even uh, as long as people are willing to come back.
1: So this is really about lifestyle modification, exactly what you were talking about where you take your lifestyle and you rework all the components of it to, to follow the diet, to follow the exercise, to have the stimulating environment and get socialization as well as some sleep.
2: Yeah, Carol, that's uh, I couldn't say it better. Uh, and I, I always tell people when I'm given the chance, each of us has to be our own healthy brain doctor. Uh, I can rant and rave about this, which I love to do because I have a passion for it, so I know it works. But at the end of the day, each of us has to decide what he or she is going to do to ensure uh, healthy aging.
1: Absolutely. this is a pr- Aging is a participatory sport these days.
0: So, Dr. Benheim, can you begin this new approach to life in your 60s or 70s and make up for... 55 years of mistreating your body and your mind.
2: Absolutely, wrong. It's never too late. Even at the age of 80 or 90, you can build endurance and strength physically, and you can build a, a stronger brain. If, if I have time for a quick anecdote, my sure. mother, who is now 95, was really my inspiration to uh, start Brain Savers. She was still playing tennis in her mid-80s. Yesterday, um, very pleased to say, for the first time, she was able to uh, witness and participate in a Brain Savers class. And uh, at the end of it, she said to me, "Wow! If we had this in Oakland, I would go to it." She said, "I'm very proud of you."
1: Wow! Oh, that's nice. That's cool. That's a ni-
2: Yes, the best thing that could happen to a son.
1: Yes, the mother's a seal of approval. (laughs) Well, because we don't have brain savers yet everywhere, you do have a book if people want to read more um, and learn more about brain health. Do you not? Yes,
2: so the book is called The Brain Training Revolution, and it really uh, explains in lay terms so that you don't have to be a Ph.D. or an M.D. uh, or even a college graduate. I tried to write it, and with the assistance of a very fine editor and, and friends, I think it's readable, and it goes through all the six uh, areas we've talked about, and it actually has uh, step-by-step guides to uh, building a healthy nutrition plan. To, if you've been a couch potato for 10 years, how you can start exercising safely and, and get to that goal of 30 minutes a, a day of aerobics plus some strength and flexibility training.
0: You also have a new book coming out soon, Because Gray Matters?
2: No, that Ron, I wish that were true. I may write a second book. Uh, that's a uh, uh, tagline of the company that, I know where you got that before the book was actually published. That was one of the titles they were considering.
0: Oh, okay.
1: But I love, so, I love that as a tagline because gray matters. It's very clever.
2: Yeah. That belongs to brain savers. I mean, that's a uh, cool. People understand. that. Yeah. And
0: if one wanted your book, it's available Amazon and elsewhere.
2: Yeah. Amazon for sure. And it, uh, most bookstores can easily order it
0: cool. if somebody requests it. Now tell us, if, if we make you leader of the world for a day, bigger than Surgeon General, would you bring this kind of teaching instruction down into the elementary school so it becomes a lifelong lifestyle?
2: Yes. I mean, all, this all needs to start in our society around the kitchen table in a, the first grade classroom. So we learn by example, and I think you see in our society now that there are many people that don't know, they don't understand that these high-sugary, high-fat uh, snacks, processed food, are unhealthy because they were given those by their loving parents. And um, if, if we can educate our younger generations now and get them back on the track of healthy nutrition and regular exercise, we'll see dramatic change in our country's health.
0: I was sitting next to a woman at a conference the other day who was sipping on a 20-ounce bottle of Dr. Pepper, and I whispered to her, do you know there are about 20 teaspoons of sugar in there?
1: And that's when she hit you and left the conference? I wondered why she she left. (laughs) That's when she
0: slugged me and left. No, she looked at me. Uh, It didn't affect you from drinking that soda, but I thought I'd plant that thought.
2: Yeah. Well, she may not realize that that's unhealthy. I mean, when I'm out in a store and I see a terribly overweight young mother with a youngster waddling behind her who's also overweight, eating a bag of uh, potato chips or uh, some sweet processed snack and sipping on a cola, I want to say something, but
3: I
0: hold my tongue. Well, oh, I just say it.
1: No, Ron, Ron just goes ahead and blurts <laughs> it out.
0: Going. But I'm 73. He
1: has no friends, I, at, I might yeah, add, as he's on the radio. At, at
0: age 73, my, my wife says you can say anything you want to say. So
2: I do. Yeah, well, I should introduce you to my mother at 95, Ron. She probably would uh, surprise you.
1: Well, um, <laughs> if people want to find out more about you, about Brain Savers, um, is there a website?
2: There is a website. Con- it's currently being redone, Carol. Uh, I think. Probably the best way is uh, to take a look at the book.
1: Excellent, excellent. At
2: this point. And, there's, but, and we do have a, a video on YouTube about the class. It's uh, If you go to, and just Google Brain Savers Brain Plus Body, using the plus sign between brain and body, Brain Savers uh, Brain Plus Body Total Fitness Program, they can see a short video of people actually participating in the class and, and talking about
1: it. So that kind of covers all the bases. You've got the video, you have the book, you have the website, you've got some classes.
2: It's yes, and nothing would make me feel better than to see more and more people uh, adapting a brain-healthy lifestyle. And, uh, that's that's my mission now.
0: So we got about 20 seconds, but tell us in 20 seconds, what got you on this path?
2: Well, uh, I'll try and do that in 20 seconds. I had been involved in developing... New drugs and biological therapies for Alzheimer's disease. And the company that I was working with uh, was temporarily out of business. And I was reviewing a grant and I realized what I had been taught, I think I mentioned this earlier, was incorrect. And it just, the idea came to me initially that I wanted to build uh, brain fitness centers. And a couple smart people, when I talked to them about this, told me, well, it costs a lot of money to buy real estate and build uh, health facilities. Why don't you develop the program and let others provide cool. it? And so that's how I got to where we are now.
0: Well, I like that, and I thank you very much for coming on. Give us the name of the book again for those who may have missed it.
2: Yes, the book is called The Brain Training Revolution, and it's published by Sourcebooks out of uh, Illinois.
0: Cool. Well, thanks for coming on. We enjoyed talking with you.
2: Oh, it's been a pleasure, Ron. Thanks, Carol. Thank you very much. you. Thank
0: take you take care and give your mom our best.
2: I will, thank Dr. you. Dr. Paul
0: terrific. Benheim, Chairman of Brainsavers out in Phoenix. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron with Carol Zernial. Where do you hear us? 9.30 a.m., The Answer. those of us who are eligible for Medicare know all too well it's difficult and confusing to navigate the maze of rules and regulations but now there's good news the Medicare information centers brought to you by WellMed provide all the information Medicare eligible people may need on Medicare and Medicare Advantage health plan options preventive health care health topics government-sponsored Medicare savings programs and a whole lot more and there's no cost for the service The Medicare Information Centers by WellMed are your one-stop, go-to resource for everything you need to know about Medicare and various other resources. Remember, open enrollment continues through December 7th. Hey, don't do it alone. If you don't understand something, ask for help. It's available at no cost. Call 877-813-3134 for more information about open enrollment and for your appointment at one of seven Medicare Information Centers in San Antonio, 877-813-3134. And that guy needed to take a breath. Nice job, by the way, right now as we speak. I know it's Sunday afternoon, but folks are standing by to take your calls at the Medicare Information Center by WellMed, and you can get all the information you need during this open enrollment period that continues through December 7th. Call 877-813-3134. By the way, December 7th is like right around the corner. 877-813-3134. The call is free. The service is free. We'll mm-hmm. We're so pleased you're sticking with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. And at the end of each of our programs, uh, we flip to take 10 and welcome in Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist, expert on caregiving and addictions as well. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol, a topic came up really as a result of our caregiver conference the other day, and it's a pretty good topic for the two of you.
1: Well, we had a caregiver stand up, and she said that she had was now the caregiver for her husband, and she was wondering if there was any help for people like her who felt like they had were no longer the wife. She didn't feel like that the relationship was still husband and wife um, because it only felt like she was the caregiver. She
0: was the worker bee.
1: Yeah, and it, you know, so you could tell that the the spark was gone. Uh, the relationship was different, and she was feeling uh angry and frustrated by this change well, in relationship
3: you know this is an organic natural process of chronic and terminal illness obviously and that there'll be a point in time when none of us really will have the the same relationship of husband and wife or two partners that we had before um, you know in in some clinical way we call eros you know the romantic side of, of what everything is about um it's a good point it's, it's a good question Um, As a clinician, I often also agonize over the dilemma as when I ever use clinical interventions that involve um, husband and wife skills. For instance, if they're cognitively able to handle sort of the interaction in couples' work and you can work with people as a husband and wife and draw from those marital skills, uh, that's a great thing. But obviously when somebody crosses a clinical or medical line, where they cognitively or for whatever chronic illness purpose, that they're no longer able to have this marital relationship, this communication ebb and flow, this honesty and openness, Um, then you do go from wife to family caregiver, period.
1: Well, is there anything that you can do to, you know, activities? You can hang on to other relationships. What do you do if you feel like that part of your life is important, and you can't just lose it.
0: Is the spark well, I, gone I, forever?
3: Well, I agree. Well, that's. I think spousal caregivers do feel this way. I think this is a very valid question. The unfortunate part is, I think um, I say unfortunate, it's not for them. I think it's for my own clinical field that I really believe a good therapist should be able to be able to communicate this and and give informed consent and say that sometimes uh, you know you will be going from the world of husband and wife or two partners to the world of you're going to be a, a caregiver. And now uh, what I can suggest is, is only a clinical suggestion. And the clinical suggestion I would say was that she needs to be in therapy with her therapist um, as soon as possible to grieve and do the vital, vital clinical work of grieving the loss of this relationship as she has come to know it. I
0: like that. And Go ahead, that's listen. like a,
3: it's like a emotional death in some fashion, but you know, it's transformative because her anger and her resentments and, and her issues I think could have been probably kind of cut off at the past by if she had been seeing a good clinician that was able to give her what expectations may, may be coming ahead. But now is a time that she needs to grieve and, and also needs to depend upon the outsourced resources that are there for caregivers.
0: What does that mean, outsourced resources? Well, outsourced resources are fabulous
3: groups like Caregiver SOS or uh, Area Agency on Aging or Alzheimer's, Associ- <laughs> Excuse me. Alzheimer's Associations are groups that are extraordinarily capable of educating and empowering family caregivers whose loved ones have kind of hit the place where they're no longer able to be that sort of, collaborative partner that that they
1: once were. Well, and another um, organization that was mentioned at the conference in response is one that I am not as familiar with, but I have heard of them, is the Well Spouse uh, Association, um, which is on the web at wellspouse.org, and they provide peer support and education about the special challenges and unique issues facing well spouses every day. So it is an organization specifically to deal with those relationship changes and being the well spouse. So It is, and
3: I've heard of wellspouse.com, and I I think it's it's extraordinarily good for this particular purpose. It's it's specifically uh, an organization that supports the spousal caregivers and the transformations that come with that.
0: We'll pick this thread up in a moment. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Journal talking with Dr. Jamie Heisman, who joins us each week for Take 10. And we're talking about exactly what WellSpouse.org may be all about, Carol. Jamie, what about forming other relationships, uh, developing personal relationships outside of the marriage?
3: Um, are, are you saying, like, develop a relationship that would resemble a romantic relationship outside the marriage? Or are you saying relationships like friendships and peer support? All of the above. Well, you know, uh, it's an interesting thing, Ron. I, I, this is a, it's, an, it's a medical ethic question as well as it's a, it's a marital issue. Um, I, the former I can't answer. It's a very individual decision. I do believe the former I can answer if the, if the loved one is able to understand what is going on and is able to communicate and be a part of any sort of clinical experience, this is wonderful clinical grist for the mill for the two to be able to talk about with a solid therapist. Just to go on and to try to find that particular person that now meets these romantic or eros needs is an entire leap that certainly I can't provide, and, and I'm not sure that it's um, it would be something I would recommend.
0: Well, it would be destructive.
1: Well, and, you know, looking at it on the, the female side side of the house, I'm, I'm thinking about You know, very close, you know, female friends, uh, if you're fortunate enough to have a a group of uh, friends that can support you emotionally in terms of, you know, people that you can really let your hair down, be yourself, laugh, you know, those kinds of relationships where you absolutely have complete trust and faith in that even if a friendship that, that's the time when, you know, you, you pull, call those
3: chips in. Okay, well, Cap, you've heard me speak about this, Carol, and, and it works well with addicts and alcoholics, and I bring them up because it, um, I think we've come a long way with 12-step programs and clinical work. But I believe, just like what you just said, that you're spot on, that I, I think that the healing, the most healing thing, and, and unfortunately men, sorry, Ron, you and I are a bit been dra- knuckle-dragging, um, have a long way to go in terms of actually development of, of best friends. And women who I put into treatment, literally, and then who come out and go to meetings, if you will, and get a sponsor, I think those women who have best friends outside necessarily who are not drinking of the of the uh, AA group uh, do extraordinarily well. And I think that they, this is a time to nurture those friendships uh, more than ever. But and then make the leap also that a support group um, is also vital because this is not happening in a vacuum. This is a huge pandemic issue among caregivers everywhere. And I think she would find solidarity if she went to a support group and was able to process this with others going through the same thing.
1: Well, would you recommend talking to your other family members? Let's say you've got adult children. Um, you know, is this something that you might want to just let them know that you're feeling differently or that you're struggling with the relationship in case they notice? You know, what do you do about the rest of the family who's watching this go on?
3: I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I don't believe that fostering shame and stigma and keeping things in the shadows and in the closet helps anybody. I, obviously, you have to be very wise and judicious of how you work with your spouse, um, the the person that has the chronic illness that maybe is not able to respond romantically or be the husband that once was. That's a real judgment and clinical call, but as to the issues of the other members of the family, it's really fair game to be able to have these very intimate, straightforward, outright conversations and, and ask for feedback. And I think that's the beauty of bringing all of this sort of behavioral health stuff out of the closet and lay it on the table.
1: Well, and it might be that that conversation could involve saying, "Look, I've I have to have some emotional support. I need you to help take care of my, you know, whoever it is that has the, you know, the illness, so that I can go out and connect emotionally with my friends or my cousins or you know, you all as the family, but arrange some time so that you get that emotional support."
0: Uh, ten seconds, Doctor Heisman. You,
3: you know the the involvement of of. The people going from the relationship she described to caregiving is extraordinarily, and more common than not. I would totally suggest for somebody to get connected to a group, not remain isolated with these feelings, and be able to process it. Because the anger you spoke of, Ron, it will just get worse.
0: Got to stop you right there, flat out of time. Take 10, that's a hot topic. We should expand on it in another Take 10 down the road. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Dr. Jamie Heisman is with us. We thank you so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.